and welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Verum, and with me as always is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast. It's always good to be back here. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good today. Um, we are entering October. We're in October and uh, getting ready for the spookiest time of year. I, uh, I, I enjoy some ghost stories, so I've been indulging in some podcasts and stuff. So I'm nice. excited to record our podcast today. Uh, so yeah, I'm ready to go. Cool, yeah. Well, today we're going to be recording... Uh, part one of the Crimson Campaign, which is book two of the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan. If you want to hear our thoughts on book one, which was called Promise of Blood, correct? Yes. Promise of Blood. Yes. Uh, I'll put a link of, to that in the description if you want to check that out. We did two episodes on that book as well. Uh, if you want to check out Pages of Light, you can head out to our head over to our website, pagesoflight.com, and you can find us on all of the social media type things. So just search for our name and you'll probably find us. Um, so even though this is October, this isn't really a, a spooky book, a scary book. Um, maybe we should have thought of that doing like some... Uh, we should have done Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, maybe. Maybe we'll do that at some point. That's a pretty short book. Could mm-hmm. do like a one-off potentially on that. Have you ever read Frankenstein? Back in the day. Back in I the day. Read it. Yeah, it's been a long time. I think I read it like in high school times, which was <laughs> which was long ago now. Yeah, I know. I had to read it for college in my in my literature class. Um, but I think that was the first time and only time I've read it. Um, mm. but. I should do a reread at some point because it's apparently the the first science fiction novel considered one of the first science fiction novels oh interesting okay because it's uh you know and mad scientist like has a creation and it's it goes awry and uh yeah yeah it makes sense because it was published in like what the 1800s i think yeah early 1800s i think or maybe mid 1800s I'm a little fuzzy on it. But yeah, around then. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about Crimson Campaign, and we're going to be doing chapters 1 through 21. And so that's a little bit of a change where we're just going to be reading half the book and then talking about that half and then reading the second half of the book and talking about the second half in uh, each of the two episodes that we do on a book. If a book's really, really long, we might break it up and do three episodes uh, so I just have to depend on, because if like a book's like a thousand pages, that's a that's a lot to split into, because that's like if you split it in half, that's five hundred. Some books aren't even five hundred pages long, so there could be a lot to talk about. So that's Sounds gonna be like the plan. Thinking of Wheel of Time, Wheel of Time, <laughs> or if we ever get to do uh, those books right up there that you can't really see in the screen. Uh, why am I blanking the Stormlight, Stormlight Archive? Right. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because, yeah, I haven't yeah. read those yet at all. So, yeah. But those I just are some... have my friend who told me about the medals. You got to get the medals to do the powers. That's Mistborn. So, that's a different oh, that's series. Mistborn. Oh, okay. Yes. So, I'm actually in the middle of a reread of that series. I'm on book two right now. Loving it. 
as always Mistborn is great nice. um but yeah so we're gonna be doing crimson campaign and we're gonna kick off with our favorite quote so my uh favorite quote that i have this time is it's on page 108 and it just says these things are rarely so simple as with or against and i'm i can't remember the specific context that this was in um but i think it's taniel talking to um somebody's trying to recruit him i believe to be like a political person tumbler yeah ricard tumbler is trying to basically recruit him to like be part of his campaign because he's trying to be what do they call it the president or not sure what they specifically call it what he's running for yeah um for for adro he's going to be the first maybe like prime minister or something um and he wants to go down in the history books as the um the first i'm going to say prime minister of adro um, because you know yeah. they had the the monarchy, and book one, Promise of Blood, is when Tamis chops the head off of Manhooch and moves them into the new age of democracy, and um, they're in this political turmoil now, and they're trying to figure out where the power lies, and um, they're having elected officials for the first time. Yeah. Yes. That is part of the story, but that's actually, I was mistaken. That's not where the quote is from. <laughs> I just looked up my, my note here. It's when Adamant is talking to the eunuch. Um, and I think he's trying to find out information about Lord Vetus and something about Adamant says something about like the eunuch is basically implying that he's either with or against you. And yeah. That's the kind. Of, that's kind of the context. But so, I, why did you choose the quote? Yeah, I was just gonna say I like that quote just because that is definitely a true statement that things are not as simple as being with or against typically. And sometimes I think we can get into binary thinking where if you're not, it's like a that quote from Star Wars and Revenge of the Sith. Whenever uh, towards the very end, if you haven't seen Revenge of the Sith, spoilers. Um, but Anakin sees Obi-Wan Kenobi and he says, if you're not with me, then you're against me. And then, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi says only a Sith deals in absolutes. So it's just like the idea that if you're like, it's, it's like a simplistic way of thinking and only people who are like evil think in those kind of simplistic terms. Uh, cause they think if you're not, uh, with them, then you're against them. And yeah, I just think it's good to have like a more of an open mind and try to see things from other people's perspective, even if you might not disagree, if you disagree with what they're saying, but like maybe try to see their point of view and where they're coming from. You can have more of a, a discussion and maybe you can sway their opinion or you might they might sway your opinion. Um, but yeah, I think if we just deal in the kind of the absolutes, we build these little tribes and it's like we think this and then we think this and then we're just going to fight each other because we have different opinions. And I think sure. that doesn't really, that's, that doesn't really help anybody. It doesn't get us anywhere. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on just that quote in general? On that well, theme? well, since I don't have a quote, I will build on your idea of sure. your quote. Um, yeah. Two things come to mind. Um, so we specifically have asked our daughter not to speak in absolutes. Um, 
and she does it purposefully because she's three and a half years old and she's rebellious. <laughs> um, and so when she says the word always or never, um, we try to coach her away from that and just say, we don't use those words. Like, you know, because, um, and, and the biblical part of that is, um, let your yes mean yes and let your no mean no. Because if you say, like, I will never do something, and right. especially as a kid, like, you could say that and, like, think that's going to be true. But, like, as an adult and you've, like, gone through life changes and, like, I'll never do such and such a thing and then, like, life happens and then you're, like, find yourself doing that. Like, okay, all right, right. so maybe I shouldn't do that. And, like... I try to balance my language so that I don't use absolutes like that. And um, I think that it's important to be like, I, the, it's like driven up the need for qualifiers. Like, I will not do this thing when X, Y, Z. Um, and an example, I don't know, I like... Uh, I've listened back to our podcast and I hate when I give like generic examples. I need to be more concrete with my examples and I'm just like, it's eluding me right now <laughs> of like a specific example of like, I just don't like saying I um, like, like I'll never like, like I'll never go to this person's house or something like that. Like I'll never, um, we all, we always go out to eat on a Friday you know, these are generic examples, but just saying that it's going to become untrue at some point, like not all the time, but, yeah. and I think it's important for you to kind of shape your, um, your mm -hmm. words around like the current situation and not to speak in absolutes because when yeah. you speak in absolutes, like a lot of times you end up being a liar, which is not what God wants. So I've yeah. learned to speak with like conditional statements and stuff. So, yeah. um, so those were my two thoughts. One, we try and coach our daughter away from using those words. And the second is, um, in the Bible, it says, let your yes mean yes and let your no mean no. And so yeah, trying to speak the truth. Yeah. So and good quote. Yeah. And sometimes we like say things like never and always more, not out of like, cause that's a true statement, but it's more of like for dramatic effect. You're like trying to really mm -hmm. make your point of like how crazy something is or, you know, how much you really believe in something, but it's not like an actual true statement to say that you would always do something or never do something else. So it's usually like you're using it for dramatic effect enough because of it's, it's actually a true statement. That's very true. And now, like, I kind of remember a little bit uh, from our re-engage uh, group where, you know, it's coaching people how to be, like, a better couple um, biblically. And when you use that, like, when you use it against your spouse, like, it's not leading anywhere good. Like, right, yes. you are always in front of the trash can when I need to use the trash can. There's a concrete <laughs> example. Um Sometimes I feel that way, like, like my wife is standing like right where I need to go in the kitchen. Like you're always in my way. And if you say that, it not only hurts your spouse, but then it also yeah. proves that you are not being truthful. Like people get frustrated in the moment and they're like, you are always yelling at me. 
And it's like, I like, we're not yelling all the time. Like, it's just like, imagine if someone always yelled at you, how awkward of a relationship would that be? If someone was literally always yelling at you. I don't think you'd have a relationship for very long if that was the case. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it's just unfair. And like, that's kind of another basis is like in our marriage, um, in the re-engage curriculum, they, they teach you like to, steer clear of that so um you're always you're always doing this to me you're always doing uh you're always coming home late you know like some like statements like that are just like poison in a relationship so right steer clear friends steer clear yes (laughs) but one of the thing about that quote is it says things are rarely so simple so that doesn't mean that there's never a time where there is like a complete binary like there's some things in the especially if you have like a biblical mindset where you know the bible says this and our culture says x i mean you know there's not sometimes there's not really a lot of wiggle room i mean you can have discussions about some of the minutia about what that means and how you live it out or whatever um but sometimes you, there is a time to just make a stand and say i'm on this side of the fence and you can be on that side of the fence but i'm not gonna like engage in a discussion with you because you know i'm like that's the, it's not going to be a productive discussion because I've already made up my mind on where I stand on a particular issue. So just to I will never that. use <laughs> I will never use a Ouija board. <laughs> that's a time because in the Bible. Say, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's an absolute for me. Like I'm not going to commune with the dead because they tell us to avoid that. And as I've said previously, there is yeah. I've heard too many stories about attachments and negative energies coming through that and it's opening your soul never do that and i and i'm also training my daughter to do that because even in kids movies like with like all this halloween theme it's like oh we'll just bust out the ouija board and i'm like no (laughs) stop saying that (laughs) we are not going to do that that is not it's not safe (laughs) yes yeah but i guess all that to say is sometimes there are times where you there is a binary and but a lot of times there are times where you can have a discussion and be open-minded so just you know maybe think about the situation and uh if that is a time to be in a binary situation or if it's a time to have a discussion about you know the minutia of a particular situation so it's a good chance to show some wisdom cool all right now that we're our favorite we're quote is over. Jump in. Yeah, we're gonna jump in. So we're gonna kick off with the first few chapters. So basically chapters one, two, and three just start off with uh reorienting us with where each of our main characters are. So chapter one we have Adamant, chapter two is Tamus, and then chapter three is Taniel. And so basically chapter one we have Adamant, um, uh, basically, at the end of book one, I think his uh, family got kidnapped by Lord Vetus and was being held hostage. And so the beginning of this Correct. book, we have Adamant. Uh, basically, he is outside. Is it his own house? I think he's outside his own house. Um, and there's some like goons in there that are keeping uh, some of his family hostage. And he's got some people that uh tamas had given him some soldiers to help him uh get his family back and so they surround the house and they go in and they take out some of the goons and uh he gets 
some of his family back, but he finds out that his wife, Faye, and his son, Joseph, uh, were taken somewhere else. And so that's basically going to be his uh, plot through this first half of the book is figuring out where his wife and son are being held and uh, how is he going to get them back. And so that's basically what's going to be happening with uh, Adamant's story. Um, yeah, any thoughts on Adamant's story as uh, we have a cat walking in? Actually, they probably oh. couldn't see that. They probably can't see that on my on the podcast screen. Oh, okay. Because yep. I think you um, get your screen gets cut off on the side. That's it's all good. Yeah, um, Serafina was just coming to say hello. Yes, she's, she's all right. Um, just as a father, like, yeah, I see my daughter, and I'm just like, I don't want anything bad to happen to her, and then. To have your whole family held hostage. Like, I am so glad we live in America where, like, this is not a reality for 99% of people. Like, there are some extreme cases where things like this happen. But, like, we don't live in a society where this is, like, commonplace. And it's probably not even commonplace in Adapest, you know, in this story. But... Oh man, to have your family taken away from you and like held hostage and like the threat of death, it's just like, yeah, that makes a desperate man. Adam is a, you know, he wants his family back and, um, yeah. And then, and I just think about how like much of a team, um, my wife and I are and just like the other, <laughs> you know, when you become married, you become one flesh and, uh, like, it makes you a team and to have that like deprived from you. Um, it's just an awful thought. So, yeah. Um, so never want to be in adamant shoes in this situation. (laughs) Yeah. You actually mentioned something that was another quote that I really enjoyed. And it's actually from the same conversation and chapter as my, as the quote I already mentioned. And it's adamant talking to the eunuch and he says, family, there's nothing that will make a man more desperate and more capable of violence than endangering his family. Um, which I think is definitely true. Like if there's ever going to be a time where I'm going to be violent, it's, it's going to be when somebody threatens my wife or my kids, I would think. Um, there wouldn't be too many other situations where I'd want to get into an altercation with somebody. Of course, you'd want to avoid violence at all costs because, you know, violence is not the way you should be resolving your conflicts. Um, but if there yeah, violence begets violence. Yeah. Um, but that, that just speaks to like how important uh, family is for uh, adamant in this case and, you know, men and husbands in general. Mm hmm. Cool. And then in chapter two, we have Tamis. So Tamis is, so basically at the end of book one, there was, uh, the Kez army is amassing and they're in this book, they're starting to march to the Southern border of Adapest or Adapest. However you pronounced it. Adapest. Yep. As always, we defer to Gabe for the pronunciation as he is the audiobook listener. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> I do get the benefit of listening to professional narrators. Um, but yeah, so basically he is down on the southern border and he is, you know, planning the defense of the... I forget. Budville. 
Bud, yeah, Budville. Okay, so that's the town that they're in, which is basically the very end of the, the very southern border. And there's a wall there and gate and stuff. Um, and so he's planning the uh, the defense of the city or the, the country, essentially. There wasn't too much else that happened in that uh, chapter, basically just setting up what's going on. And then yeah. chapter three, we have Taniel. And uh, so at the end of book one, Taniel had shot Cressamere through the eye and mm-hmm. thinks that he kills him. Um and after this, there's some, I can't remember the specifics of the end of the book, but there's some explosion or something collapsed or something like that. And Capole pulls him out and saves him, but he's in a coma. And at the beginning of this book, he wakes up from his coma and essentially he's in like this really deep depression and he's like drowning himself in drugs and he's trying to forget what happened. Um, and yeah, he's, he's at just, the Mala Den. Yeah. He's at the Mala Den and he's just... He's just like in a bad. He's in a bad way. Um, Which, if we, if like, um, to like in our world, it would be like. I feel like it would be like an opium den. Right. Yeah. Like that would be the equivalent of what it would be like here. <laughs> yeah. Just like this lethar, like the drug that you take, it's like super lethargic and like you don't want to move for hours at a time. Yeah, and because Never experienced opium. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, what was I gonna say? Um, oh yeah, be- so because he's a powder mage, though, like he has um, like a general, like he's more, I guess, immune to the effects of the mala, and so he's able to. They they comment later in the book, like you've taken like so much of that stuff. I should have killed you like numerous times. But he's just still, he's still kicking along, and uh, and that's just because he's a powerful powder mage, and he's able to, he has some kind of superhuman abilities to uh, resist the effects. Um, there's one point where he like, he's like, I told you to give me this much, and you only gave me this much, and he's like complaining that he wasn't given enough mala, and the guy's like, you smoked enough mala to like, kill five people or something like that. And that's when he's like, oh, maybe I have a, maybe I have a problem here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a bad it's, situation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have any thoughts? Um, yeah, I just like Adamant's, um, and this is coming later, but like when Adamant is um, talking to Rickard Tumblr, when Rickard Tumblr is asking you mean ta- him You mean Daniel? No, when Rickard Tumblr is talking to Adamant about finding Taniel. Oh, right. And um, Adamant says, um, you know, there's two places soldiers go after war. They either go right. for vice or they go home. And he says that um, Taniel is a career soldier, so I right. think vice. Um, and, you know, I just think that's an interesting observation on, like, that could be maybe one of the quotes um but like yeah like i i I feel like that's true i don't know how much legitimacy that there is behind that statement but i feel like it's pretty true like you know like after war you want to just like like totally forget yourself in this maladin or you want to go home and be with your family um so yeah i just yeah that's my um thought is that like um yeah I, I feel there's legitimacy behind that statement. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, 
I've heard stories of people coming home from war, especially after World War II, where they had a lot of people get put on morphine for pain, and they got addicted to the morphine, and then whenever they got back home, they still had like addiction problems with that um, throughout their life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is some some truth to that kind of a story. Um, yeah. So that's where Daniel is basically starting off on our story. And then chapter four, we kind of actually have, um, which I don't know if you'd consider her a main character. She's kind of like a side character, but she has an interesting story. And that's Nyla, who was the, uh, I don't know what your title would be. She was something like a, a servant or a maid or something like that. She was the laundress, the laundress, right? Um, and she was the laundress for one of the lords before uh, Tamis Duke and Duke Elderment. Elderments, Elderments, yeah. Elderments, Lord Elderments, yeah, that was his Eldermans. name. Um, but now she's basically with Lord Vetus, and because she uh, basically keeps watch over the Lord Elderments's son named Jacob. And so Lord Vetus has Jacob. And so because he has Jacob that he also has Nyla because Nyla wants to look after the boy and keep him safe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we just get some interesting stories with her and her kind of dealing with Lord Vetus. And I liked her. Yeah. Portion. She's like our window into like yeah. Lord Vetus's life and what he's doing. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I liked her bits because we got to see kind of what Lord Vetus was like. Um, and what he, how he's kind of operating, um, which was cool. And then we also get to meet, well, not meet, but we get more information about uh, Adam and his wife, Faye, because um, they kind of talk a little bit and get to work together um, in some instances. So, yeah. So I don't know that I'd consider her a main character, but she uh, is a cool side character that we get some some scenes with throughout the story. So I was thinking maybe we could just, like, talk through like the different storylines of our main characters and kind of like because in my brain that's like where like that's kind of how the story flows to me yeah because they're mostly independent storylines except for a little bit of adamant and taniel intertwining a little bit uh for for the most part they're basically individual storylines for the first half of the book Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that sounds like a good idea who do you think we should who do you think we should start with I think we should start with Adamant. I think Adamant might be my favorite character. I you like, want to take this? You, I like you want to talk about it? No, you can take it, but uh, I just think I like the inspector kind of character. I like the research, the investigation. I liked mm-hmm. in the first book when he went to the to the libraries and tried to find uh, some... I think it was something about like Cressamere's returning or whatever, something where like the books mm-hmm. were getting burnt out or pages were being torn out and yeah Kresimir's promise I think is what he was investigating Um, yeah so yeah as Adamant um, is left in the first book his family's captured so Tamis kind of uh, empowers him by giving him like a troop of soldiers so Adamant is able to reclaim his family uh, but his wife Faye and Joseph as you said have been taken to uh, another location. So he is in search of Lord Vetus. Um, but before that, he's hired to figure out where Taniel is, and he finds out that 
and we talked about the quote where um, soldiers go for home or vice. So he goes to the girlish quarter and finds Taniel um, in a stupor in the sixth molid den that he checks. Um, and Rickard Tumbler says, ah, you just lucked out an adamant saying to himself, well, I did luck out, but I'm not telling the client that. So, <laughs> um, and then, uh, Adamant is like avidly hunting for Lord Vetus. And so he finds his way into a tailor's shop that does like super high end um, like clothes. And he sees a coat that Lord Vetus. And remember, Adamant is a knacked. And so he has a special skill that he yes. never forgets anything. Um, and that's his knack. And so he sees this jacket and he sees that it's been damaged. And he's like, maybe this is actually Lord Vetus's um, jacket. So he stakes it out, and he's like looking, and he, and then uh, a few days later, Nyla shows up, but he doesn't know who Nyla is, and she walks in, and she gets the jacket, and he's just walking, and he's trailing her, and he finds his way to Lord Vetus's house, which is just in the middle of like this upper crust, like. Um, like neighborhood and it doesn't look like any like hideout or you know no. anything special and he's and he gets mugged uh but he actually ends up getting a pistol to the face and he gets knocked out uh and he wakes up like uh in bondage in like some basement and he's like am i gonna die down here um and so he's actually been captured by the proprietor and so we haven't talked about the proprietor yet the proprietor is like the overlord of like all the scum in adro and like it's like the big crime boss and uh yeah. you know has a lot of power and influence and the proprietor is represented by the eunuch so everyone knows who the eunuch is and that um the eunuch um represents the proprietor and we learned that the eunuch has actually killed a privilege, and there's not a lot of details on that, but um, that was something that was revealed about the eunuch that uh, was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a conversation, and Adamant is like dismissed from the household, and he's like, why was I allowed to leave freely? Um, so he does his investigation. He takes these, ha like, these hairs from the carpet, and uh, he goes to one of Faye's friends. She's like, I can know where this is from by next week. So Adamant comes back and uh, talks to her. And she writes down an address. And he's and Adamant hails a cab. And he's like, I know this address. And so he recruits Sue Smith, um, who has been shot and stabbed. Um, and Rickard Tumbler has paid for another knacked um, to heal Sue Smith. Yeah. And he's... And he's like healed up. Sue, Sue Smith is like superhuman. I, I love him. He, he's the man of few words and he'll just like bust heads when he needs he's, to. He's the muscle. Yeah, he's Adamant's muscle. So Adamant shows up on um, the Reeve, on Drouse the Reeve's doorstep. And, uh, he, and Andraus is like, what are you doing? And Adamant has him at gunpoint. And then he just drops into this like calculating like visage and uh adamant has a thrill run through him when the reeve says 
I am the proprietor, essentially. <laughs> and he's like, I figured it out. And so no one in all of the nine, like only like four people know who um, yeah. who he is. Uh, and then they work out a deal where Adamant gets money because he's figured out where Lord Vetus is. He knows like his numbers. There's like, I don't know, like... Like thirty, it was like thirty, 60. and a, and it, but he has a privilege. That's the problem, and so mm. he, even if he had a bunch of soldiers, the privilege is going to be a big problem because they could just wipe out a ton of people. So, and there's basically only one privileged in the city that he could recruit, and it's privileged Borbador. Mm-hmm. Good old Bo. Good old Bo. And uh, and he's like uh, imprisoned by Tamis's men. Um, and he still has the geist on him, which is compelling him to kill um, the people who have uh, killed the crown. And um, man, Hooch. Adamant talk. Yep, Manhooch. And uh, Adamant goes and talks to Bo's jailers, and they're like seventy-five thousand crowner, and you can have him. And so um, Adamant gets the money from the proprietor, and. Well, they were they both. weren't orig- they weren't originally gonna do it, um, even though they were like I'll, he was, even though he was like I'll give you money they were like no nah, we're supposed to be here that's what our orders are, and he like convinces them because he's like you're not doing anything here there's a war going on you'd be better off helping down there, and then that makes them be like okay fine if you give us this much money we'll we'll bounce. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, so he gets Bo out and Bo's like I need. 24 hours before I can help you do whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. And then um, Adamant's like, I'm not letting you out of my sight. And Bo, first stop he goes, he gets, he goes to a hideout he has. He gets his privilege gloves back so he can work the else and do magic. And um, he gets out probably a million crowner and gives Adamant like a hundred thousand crowner um, back. To pay for uh, his release. And then, and Bo's going all over town. He's got like a cab, he's driving all over the place. And the fourth time he's driving all over the place, he uh, uh, adamant follows him, watches him bribe a guy to come talk to him in the, in the alleyway. And then Bo just snaps his fingers, and this guy's head twists around like the exorcist, and he drops dead. Uh, on the spot and Adamant's just like <gasps> like he just watched that happen um, and and then they both get back in the car and um, Bo says will you hold on to this for me and it's the Geist he has broken the Geist because he has gone through and killed the like specifically like the executioner who killed Manhooch yep. and he was like I really didn't know if this was going to work, so I just uh, started killing people to see if it would work. Um, but he did he did um, kill them, and the geist was released, so he no longer is compelled to kill Tamis. Yep. Who, you know, it was Tamis's plan, but it wasn't done by Tamis's hand. And I think right. that's the key yeah. um, to breaking it. And so now, Bo is ready... Um, to go with Adamant, and they are ready to siege Lord Vetus's stronghold, and that's kind of where we end up in this storyline. Yeah, you have you have it's any a, thoughts on uh, Adamant? It's a good cliffhanger storyline. It's a good it's a good cliffhanger to stop. So, 
I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next in that. Um, yeah, I mean, I just like I like Adamant as a character and and Privilege Bow. Um, they're both cool characters, um, and I think they both kind of want to do the right thing, although they uh, they do those things in maybe questionable means. <laughs> um, but definitely not Christian way. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. Um, for the for the guys, I wonder if it was like, is it the the multiple killings, or was it that one killing that did it, the last one, or was it like the stacking effect of all the different ones, like he had to kill all of the people, or if it was just the one person, the executioner, that was holding him to the guys, um, probably we won't know, but. Yeah, because I, f- I feel like, you know, if it was the executioner who, like, released the, the demon's carbuncle, which held the geist or whatever, um, maybe it was just the executioner because he physically removed the head of Manhooch. Right. Um, have to ask Brian McClellan, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, interesting. I just like, I like Adamant versus Lord Vetus because Lord Vetus is kind of like a, he's like an interesting villain because we don't really know a lot about him. We get a few things through Nyla's interaction with him, but we don't know like where he came from, um, like what a lot of his motivations are. Um, So yeah, I'm just looking forward to like seeing more about him and, you know, like what he's trying to accomplish. Um, there's probably something in Nyla's chapters that mention what he's trying to accomplish, but that I'm blanking on. I don't know if you remember anything specific, but yeah. So we, we do get some reveals about Lord Vetus. So, um, Rickard Tumblr has hired, um, a person to work for him by the name of fell. And this is in the adamant storyline and mm-hmm. fell is like his assistant and we right. learn that he is paid like 10 million crowner to have her on his staff. And she attended this, uh, like, secret yes, elite school, school type of, thing. Yes, I do remember of that. Of Shadow. Yeah, the, um, that's called uh, the Fontaine Academy, I think. Um, and I, when I hear the name Fontaine, I think of uh, Bioshock. I think the third one maybe has a Fontaine in it. Um, and it's basically like super school. Like she's like, I've been in every single class, like mathematics, statistics, like human behavior. I've been trained like, uh, in like, I'm proficient, like with every single weapon under the sun. And, um, they basically go there for 30 years and they do like 18 hour days nonstop and just basically become like a machine and lord vetus has undergone this same training um and that's kind of like the big reveal about where he uh his kind of origin uh so very you know brain is working high like high functioning and then also like physically like uh we learned that (laughs) fell uh and we'll get into this uh she holds her own against a warden um, so right. they like this is a highly skilled, highly trained group of people. Like only one out of a thousand actually graduate from the Fontaine Academy. Yeah. 
Um, but I think I remember them saying that she didn't complete it. Like she only did 10 years or right. 15 years or something like that. It's like she's half done. Um, mm-hmm. So it costs Ricard like half of what it would have normally cost to get someone from the Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was just a, a tidbit. I remember um, there's like, whenever you read these epic fantasy books, there's always like those things that just like, until somebody mentions like mentions like one word like Fontaine Academy, and then it's like, oh yeah, all those things come back into my head. Yeah, like, yeah. There's so many things to parcel out in your head, and if you're reading multiple books, they start to all get like something has to like leave your mind to make room for the other things that you're putting into it. Um, yeah, that is called. There, there's actually a name for that, um, which I know from when I was teaching call uh, psychology, and it's called tip of the tongue phenomenon knowing something exists in your long-term memory but lacking the proper retrieval cue so i gave you the retrieval cue i said fontaine academy and then (laughs) boom all this information comes out of your brain you're like okay i got it um but yeah that's that's the uh thing with like research uh you know people who are researchers or like us who people like read a lot of books um your brain purges itself and like you become a temporary expert and you're like awesome on it. And then like a few months go by and you're like, what was that about? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe um, we, we need to like read and then immediately after do the podcast. Cause I feel like it, the longer we wait to do a podcast, like the more, like the more of that starts, starts to happen. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah. So thank you for being uh, the retrieval cue that you needed. That's right. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with uh, with Adamant's uh, storyline there. And uh, I wonder if he's going to get his family back at the end of this book or if there's going to be something where he doesn't get... Maybe he gets one of them back and one of them dies. That could be, a, that could be very fitting. Maybe uh, his wife has to sacrifice herself to save her son, Joseph. Um, yeah, I don't know. I won't ask you because you've, you've read the whole book. So I think I know know the answer to that question. You know where the story ends, but I know the answer to that question. I'm not going to say anything. Well, thank you. Uh, Um, leave leave your thoughts of what's going to happen in the comments below. If you have not, uh, finished the book. Yeah. And, uh, no spoilers, no spoilers. Um, sorry. I was going to say, um, I, I told Tyler before we started the podcast that like I remember like the end, like some of the ending, but I totally forget like the journey. And again, it's like the right. tip of the tongue phenomenon. Like right. if you were to prompt me with the right retrieval cues, I could pull that information out of my brain. But right now it's just kind of like I know where the story ends and I kind of right. know the ending, but like I totally forget the path to get there. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's an interesting um like idea that you mentioned with those retrieval cues, like thinking about like how you could um, maybe take notes on books more effectively is, you know, finding specific words that would help you remember more pieces of the story. Um, Yeah. So I've been slowly trying to like work out like a better note taking system or better way to like remember and digest uh, fantasy books and pull important things out of them that are applicable uh, to life or whatever. So yeah. Thank you for, for, sure. for some more insight and knowledge. 
Yeah, I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, I taught AP psychology for four years and just having that, um, like, teaching kids about, like, the seven sins of memory and, like, um, and, like, using heuristics to remember more things or, like, um, you know, just learning those concepts and then over time, like, the best way to learn something is to teach it because... When you are teaching to kids or like anyone, they will ask you questions and it will push you into like, how well do I actually know this? And when you, when, when you get questioned for four years about the same things, like those are some things in my mind that are not going anywhere. (laughs) I know those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure in any job that you work, you have a lot of times the same things come up over and over and over again. So that's why you become an expert in your field because you're always talking about the same things or the same way mm-hmm. things are going or, you know, whatever. So yeah. Memory is an interesting thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. So that's adamant story basically. Um, so let's move to Tamis. Tamis doesn't really have a whole lot of things like, like big plot things that are happening. Um, He's mainly, so basically what happens with Tamis is he's on the southern border. He's fighting the Kez or like planning. uh, He's basically waiting for their big invasion and planning how to uh, repulse it. Um, He doesn't, it's going to be basically very hard to do it uh, because their numbers are so crazy. And so he's trying to figure out the best strategy to do it. And some people come to him and there's basically this like, tunnel that they found that will lead them out behind the uh the enemy encampment and so he comes up with this plan where he's going to take basically his best soldiers that he has and he's going to take them through this tunnel and he's going to set them up and they're going to basically wait for their army to attack the gates and then once that happens they're going to attack and then sandwich them and get them in some kind of an ambush um because that's going to be the only way that he can uh, win because of their overwhelming numbers. He has to get them in some kind of disadvantageous situation um, so he can win. And through a series of unfortunate events, I think it's like the Black Wardens, essentially, is they just yeah. like basically just run up and just like basically way, lay waste to their army. And at this point, I don't think they had known that the Black Wardens existed, so they didn't know that correct they had that like card in their hand and so that like basically threw their plan completely out of the window and tamis has to make a decision does he send the army to attack anyway knowing probably that they'll lose because the gates have been lost so there's no longer anywhere the ambush basically has isn't going to work because there's nothing holding them back at the gates anymore um or is he going to basically just retreat and try to run away and he decides to uh well he's i wouldn't say run away tamas doesn't run away he's making a strategic retreat to like plan and think of a better strategy um or he's trying to get back to uh adipus another way um yeah i think the city that they're going for is called alvation and they're like, sir, right. this is a this is like one month of hard marching. Yeah. And uh, 
And then they're in the situation where, like, all the soldiers had, like, their ration packs for, like, a week. Yeah. Or, like, two or three days. And then they, like, have to hike a month through enemy territory. <laughs> yeah. and which is, which is such a great setup, by the way. Like, yeah, abandoned, like, like, abandoned in, like, enemy territory. But, like, you have a really strong fighting crew. You're just... Yeah. Abandoned without food or anything. Yeah. Well, the problem with even though you have a really good, like, even though they're your best soldiers, the best soldiers can only do so well whenever they're starving and tired and being like, they're marching basically nonstop um, to get as far away as they can because the Kez figured out where they were or figured out that they have run away or retreating. And they've send, they're sending out the cavalry to track them down. So, And they don't have a ton of cavalry, so they have a lot of just foot soldiers. So they can't keep the same pace as the cavalry would. So they're also at a disadvantage there. And um, so they're making for the Fingers of Cresimir, which are these like little kind of uh, rivers that run through uh, the forest. And they're trying to come up with this plan, and they're trying to get to this um, this this larger river, I think. Then there's a bridge there, and I think the original plan is they're going to get to the bridge, and then they're going to take out the bridge, so that way the cavalry has to go around, so that buys them more time. But Tamas has this, and we don't see the basically the full. F- we don't see his full plan because the that's where we stopped reading at chapter Mm -hmm. uh, 21 Um, but he's basically he tells this small group of people to ride ahead and to take out the bridge beforehand before uh, they get there and so he's telling the the mass of soldiers that we're going to get to this place we're going to cross the bridge and then we're going to take the bridge out and then we're going to that'll buy us some time or whatever so the soldiers are all like yes, we're going to get to the bridge and then that's going to be our saving grace where we can get a little bit of a reprieve. Um, but he basically does something opposite and uh, I'm blanking on his like second in command. What's the second in Gavril. command? Yeah, Gavril's like, I'm going to do it, but if it doesn't work, then I'm going to curse you essentially. Um, yeah. And he's also having a potential problem with people... Um, basically saying what Tamas did and then and not keeping it a secret um so there's a lot of stuff with that where the you can only push an army so far so um dealing with some infighting and um uh personnel problems as we'll talk about in a second with Valora um but so that's basically Tamas's story is trekking through the woods uh, trying to buy time. They kill a bunch of their horses for food. Um, so, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on Tamis's kind of story? There's not a lot that happens. It's just, you know. Yeah, we, it's like we a lot get of some setup. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's very interesting to go through, like, first of all, like, I love Tamis. Like, he is such yeah. a good character. Um he is like his heart is in the right place uh, like in in the beginning of the march he was like 
I would rather be walking with the soldiers. Um, you know, me personally, right. if I have a horse, I'm going to ride the horse, like, hands down. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that just makes my life easier. But yeah. Tamas is, like, the person, like, if I could, like, he was saying how uh, in the first book he has a a uh, golden star was it a golden star or a lead star yeah um, something they put gold in his, yeah gold because that was what kept him um, from using his powder yeah and his sorcery uh so he had that inserted into his knee and and he still he was heal, healed by maharli um but it didn't fully take and he still has like pain in his knee so he right. decided to ride his horse but i just love that um you know, in the first book, he loves his dogs, um, Pitlore and the other one. And uh, and then, like, here, he's like, I want to walk with the men. And then he does this big speech to all the men. Um, and But he also has, like, like, his heart is in the right space. But he does, he is deceptive in the fact that he sends Gavril ahead, um, you know, to destroy the bridge. Um and so it looks like to the to his army that um, they have no choice to do this uh, when really it was a contrived plan by Tamis, right. um, which is not really like a Christian thing to do. But like again, yeah. like I, I think that's interesting that like his end result is something that he decided and that he made, uh, and he's kind of forcing his troops into the situation by a situation he's like handcrafted so he is like being deceptive and yeah um but like you know that he wants to do that for the success of his army and i think the difference between christianity and like living in the world is like you know we can admire him as being like a strong character but he's not a good christian leader because um he's being deceptive and I think that God doesn't want you to be deceptive in that way. Like, there are things that you... I feel... You know, I think we've talked about this before with truth, that, like, you can conceal things without, you know, giving the whole truth. And I think right. that's allowable within God's law. Um, but... Um, uh, he's like actively like acting against you know he's not he's not being straightforward with his soldiers he's like oh you know he's like actively like yeah. creating his own scenario um, yeah. and then we get into the whole Olam and Vlora situation so yeah, uh, Tamis is like uh, going out to bathe uh, in the river and he happens upon Vlora um, and Olam, and they are in a situation where they're about to be intimate, <laughs> and uh, and he's embarrassed, they're embarrassed, everyone's embarrassed, and um, and then he pulls Olam aside later, and uh, like, Olam's basically he can't be doing that. Yeah, yeah, he says that to Olam, and Olam's like, "Well, if you hadn't showed up, I would have like." been doing a lot better <laughs> and and Tamis was like yeah. he's like I can't believe he said that to me and then he's like I won't have frat, frat, fraternization between my soldiers and uh, yeah. she, she's a powder mage and you're you're a captain and 
no no fraternization and then um then he talks to Laura and Laura gives Flora, excuse me, gives it to him both barrels. Yeah. And she was just and she's just like saying she does, how she's she does working. not care anymore. Yeah, she does not care and she's just like saying how she regrets the decision to sleep with this guy um which was basically it seemed like a ploy against like Tamis or Taniel. Um, yeah. like he was in that situation. Um, and then uh, <laughs> and then she does this really cheeky thing where like Olam is like riding through the lines of people on his horse and like telling and then she, she like just grabs pulls him, him off in, into yeah. the bushes to do who knows what. Yeah. But we know. We yeah. all know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> yeah. And and Tamis is like fighting himself. He's like raging. He's like, I can't believe she's doing that. And then he's like, I can't do anything. He just like walks away. Yeah, he's in um, like a Tamis is in like a conundrum because he can't like what's he gonna do? Is he just gonna like yeah. off his officers? Like, like he he has limited resources, he has limited officers, like he can't just get rid of them. And so he and, kinda and has he even to just says deal like do I want to do a public beating right before I need my troops to like, right, exactly. <laughs> like perform at their best. So his hands are tied. And if he was yep. like in Adipas with his army, like that, yes. that would have gone down differently, but he's in a desperate situation. So he, he understands yeah. that for morale purposes, there's absolutely nothing he can do. Right. Um, so that was, that was like, I, I enjoyed that part of it. And um, just hearing how he's like, they're at half rations, and he's like, cut them again. Like, we need to go down to quarter rations. Uh, and then, like, keep marching and yeah. just staying barely ahead of, like, the incoming, I yeah. think they call them dra- dragoons or the horseback um, people. Yeah. And now Tamis is hatching a plan. He's like, I want Bayon Jaipoli, uh, who he does have a conversation with, um, like... He, he's hunting Tamis and he's saying like we're gonna catch you and Tamis is like well good luck because I'm gonna keep going <laughs> and now he's hatching a plan yep. um, to with his um, engineers and they're at the river and he's like I want to have a crossing and then uh, he's going to invite an attack and, and we don't exactly know what the plan is Yep. And that's uh that's where we leave off this storyline, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> it's interesting just the whole situation with Valora and uh his officers. Um and just like the idea of like your your moral principles and whenever you're pushed to the limits of your like physical strength, mental strength, emotional strength, like will you compromise on your values, on your morals? And, you know, in this situation we see people basically just, they're not respecting authority. You know, they're basically just saying whatever they want because they know they can get away with it. And, um, I mean, I guess that's freeing in a way. Like you can say things that you wouldn't otherwise say. Um, but I do think there's some element of like your compromising on what you would on your values just because you are in a position where you're like, like it's, it's allowable or like you could, you're not going to have repercussions for what you're doing. Um, and I just think that's like an important thing for 
trying to bring in some kind of a Christian perspective to this uh, storyline of like whenever you're pushed to the limits, whenever you're um, in difficult conversations or in a situation where maybe you can get away with something and maybe nobody will know or whatever, like, are you going to compromise your values? Are you going to do something that you know is not right just because um, you can get away with it? Or are you going to, you know, stand up for what you believe in and um, do the right thing even when nobody is looking and when whenever uh, whenever you're in secret. Um, I, think th- I don't remember the specific passage, like something about like God sees who is in sees what is done in secret, acknowledges it or something like that along those lines. Mm-hmm. I'm, that's a massive paraphrase of what the I don't even remember where that is in the Bible, but sure, yeah, and, and yeah, the word is integrity like are you going to have integrity like when no one's looking um because god always sees and god knows your heart and what's in it and um he knows you better than you know yourself um so yeah but i think that's an appropriate quote and uh you know i think it's very human to give in to the temptations and like especially like Tamas's army who is like on quarter ration like they're slaughtering the horses for meat like um, you know they're in a desperate situation and um, I I feel like like, if I'm that run down I am not looking to follow orders or anything like I'm hungry I'm tired yep like I get I get hungry and tired after like a 12 hour (laughs) day like I can't even imagine what it would be like to march nonstop for weeks at a time on like right. no food. Like I, I would be, I would be dead at the end of the column. It'd be like, yeah. like game's gonna die. We'll just we'll see him later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But just thinking of like, you know, people in wartime situations, like prisoners of war. Um, like you've heard, I've heard stories Ooh. of. Like I've heard stories of people like, you know, they get tortured for hours on end. They're asked to betray their faith, their country, you know, all these different things. And the thing that gets people through those situations without breaking is like their like their bedrock foundational principles that were instilled into them whenever they were young. Um, You know, Bible verses that they memorized, um, like the military handbook the code of conduct you know how you're supposed to act whenever you're in these situations like those are the things that they remember and they can memorize and they can recite in their head and then you know having people around you like other those other people that are in the same situation as you to speak into you and just to help you whenever you're down and then you can help them whenever they're down so a sense of christian community as well to keep people you know on the straight and narrow and looking towards you know how we should be acting and not what just what we can get away with essentially um mm-hmm. so yeah yeah i live in fear of the term forced march, forced march. like that's yeah like if you yeah. know our country was ever invaded and like we were captured and like we had to go on a forced march somewhere like for just miles and miles and if you fall behind like they would just shoot you and keep right. walking like i <laughs> Like, like that's a fear for me. I would never want to be in a forced march situation. Um, 
And fortunately, we live in America where we're surrounded, like, on either side by oceans. And um, so that that gives us a really strong fortified position. Um, but, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I feel like war, World War Three is going to happen. Yeah, probably really, will at some point. I really hope that... You're, 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 not, you're not around. You're not around. Yeah, to see but happen. but then like my daughter, you know, like yeah, that's right. <laughs> I I just hope it's like it's just so tough. I you know, there's so much things are less sure. Like after the pandemic, like you know, supply chains have kind of like crumbled, and right. like I just feel like there is less assurity in the world, and like things are more like at boiling points, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Only God knows what the future holds. Yeah. And I hope there is not a forced march in my future. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. What's that quote from Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring? Frodo is like, I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf's like, so do all who see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. So not necessarily oh, a Christian. Not necessarily a Christian quote, quote, but <laughs> I'm just impressed that you knew that. Good job. <laughs> I mean, I I would watch Lord of the Rings, the whole trilogy, like once a month if I could, but <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not once a month. That might be a lot. But I I have watched those movies a lot of times, so I can pull out a lot of quotes. Nice. Um, but yeah, that is uh, Tamis's plot. Uh, let's hit on. Taniel. So as we mentioned at the beginning, Taniel was in a coma. He woke up. He's kind of in this drug overdose. Well, not overdose, but he's in like this. He's basically just drugged up and he's trying to forget all the stuff that's happened to him. Um, you'll probably have to help me fill in the gaps as I go through this uh, plot line. Um, but basically... No uh, Ricard Tumblr hires uh, Adamant to find Taniel because Tan- uh, Ricard wants Taniel. He wants to recruit Taniel essentially to like be his running mate is what it seems like to me. Uh, so yep. Ricard's going to run for prime minister and then he wants Taniel to like be a secondhand man to be like, imagine how much like we'd get all the support. Like you're the, the son of the, the general Tamis who was the, the savior of the city or whatever. And, uh, we would, we would win. And, uh, Daniel's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to the battle, the war zone, because that's basically, I feel like he has like this kind of weird identity crisis where he, he feels like the only thing he's good at is killing people. And, mm-hmm. um, the first half of the book, at least that, that I've read is, He's like leaning into that and that's just what he's going to do. He's going to go to the war. He's going to find some kind of purpose in, um, killing people, killing privileged, you know, doing his best to save the, uh, save the, the country from being invaded. Um, and so he leaves, uh, what's the city that they're in? Uh, the big city, the capital. What's the big city? Oh, um, now that you asked me, I'm blanking. It's we don't even Adipist, know the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the city of Adipest. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we were yeah, wrong. For, we were wrong for the whole a moment time. there. 
the con- the country thought, is Adro, the city is a- is Adipest. Yeah. We were saying, Adipest was the country, so we had, we had flipped them. Oops. Looking at the map, so <laughs> retroactive yeah. fix for all the previous mentions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he leaves the city, uh, Adipest, and he basically travels all the way down to the south. Um, pause, with, pause. With we, got, we gotta talk real quick about um, the encounter with the wardens before. Oh yeah, that's the right. Front yeah. lines. You, you go ahead. You just take that. Oh yeah. So I, I just love this scene. So um, oh, and there's also one thing when um, Daniel was in the Maladin and um, this like I don't know. I just imagine being like a real sleazy guy is selling him the Mala, and he's yeah. like. You know, the witch is with you and, and something. Right. And then he's like, Daniel's like in his blurry, like drugged mind. He's like trying to explain who cop hole is. And then he's like, yeah, she's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought that, I just thought that was a funny comment. Um, but anyway, after he talks to Ricard Tumblr, he's out um, in the city streets and he's with Fell. Um, who is Ricard's assistant that went to the Fontaine's Academy and right. Capole. And he, like, he gets no warning. And all of a sudden, he's, like, airborne because, like, this warden has just, like, punched him with, like, this huge warden fist. And he finds himself, like, in the air. And then, like, there's another warden. And they're, like... Um, and at this point in the book, Daniel has not taken any powder. He's just been on Mala this whole time. And then he, like... Uh, he gets into this fight with these wardens and he's like being crushed and uh, Fell steps up and like slashes a warden with her knife and this is like her Fontaine Academy like coming to bear. She's like, you know, trained in weapons and stuff and Capole has got her needles that are along as someone's forearms and she's like jabbing at the warden like repeatedly. So Taniel like harangues this guy in the crowd he's like give me your powder and so he throws it at the warden and he's gonna explode it and detonate like a huge amount of powder like a whole horn like right in the warden's face and nothing happens um and then the warden like very crazily like takes the powder horn just like start biting it and chewing it (laughs) and he's like oh my gosh like what is going on right now it is pretty epic (laughs) Um, and then Daniel like gets his like powder charges and he's just like, and he's like, Oh, the powder trance. Like, how could I ever have sacrificed anything for the powder trance? Like, I love the powder trance. And he just like, he just goes beast mode on these wardens and like takes the wardens like rib out of the warden and like stabs him (laughs) and like kills him. And then the order, the other warden just runs. He's like, wardens don't run. He's like, they're like, this one did. Because um, yeah, he, he wiped out his friend. Yeah. Um, so here we get to see um, like the true black warden, which uh, we learn throughout like the uh, pages that are coming up that um, we, we're pretty sure that Kresimir, so we're going to talk a little bit about Kresimir. Kresimir we find out is with the Kez army and he's um, and one of the generals which we'll talk about in a little bit um, says that they saw Kresimir in like a war council between the Kez and the uh, the soldiers um, and he was wearing a, a mask and it only has one eye um, and 
So Krasimir is with the Kez army, and he's kind of responsible for making the Black Wardens, because just as Krasimir has never been with an army before, the Black Wardens have never been with the Kez, and so they've figured out that Krasimir has made wardens out of powder mages, and that's why we have these Black Wardens. Um, and they uh, can use pistols, which normally uh, the wardens don't do that, and they can also like absorb the energy of powder and so they're like they're like the elite forces of like wardens are are terrible enough to deal with and then these are just like next level wardens um, yeah so they're like extra crazy and strong and we also learn that because um mahali kind of explains that Taniel tried to kill kresimir and then kresimir had like a magical backlash and it um it kind of like changed Taniel's inner working, and so he's kind of like God touched or like um, like a God killer. I think is another term that they use, and so he is like mm-hmm. become like just like the Black Wardens are like the next level wardens. Like he is like the next level level powder mage. Like he is a step above all other powder mages now. He's got like extra strength and like. Um, yep. Tyler uh, is going to talk about like him on the front lines and stuff, but like he is just like he he's no longer just a powder mage, which is like you know um, several standard deviations above like a normal human being. Um, yep. He is now like next level powder mage. Um, yep. So yeah, we had to talk about that warden encounter. That was just like yeah, really. Well, that scene really also cool. has <laughs> the important implication of like knowing how strong. Daniel is now compared to how he was before so mm-hmm. yeah so yes thank you for giving us that detour or that yeah. return to that scene um yeah so he after that he travels down to the the front line essentially and he gets on some kind of a squad and he's able to um he basically just wants to like help the army uh, do as much as they can to keep the the Kez at bay and it's it seems to me like he's kind of becoming like a one man army which makes sense because of how powerful he is um, but he's doing all he can to keep the the front lines from retreating but he's like every time the battle starts like it seems like only a few minutes later they're sounding the retreat and that makes Daniel think that the generals don't like they basically want to lose. Um, and so he does things to like not make the army retreat. And there's this one scene where he basically like holds the line by himself. And this like one like company or battalion or something stays with him to help him hold the line. Um, like basically proving that we can hold the line if we really want to. It's just like you you general people won't let us essentially. Um, yeah. I just thought that was a, it was a cool scene to show like how powerful he is. And I also like that scene because it shows that despite, uh, Daniel, like resenting his father and really like in his, in his inner monologue, he really does not like his father and all the stuff that he uh, put him through. But, he is a lot like his father in terms of his like leadership and how people look up to him and how he does like basically anything that 
he can to like get the job done. And Tamus is a lot like that. Like he will take risks. He will do what he has to do to get the victory. Um, even if it means like sacrificing people, like he will do what it takes to win. Um, and like a lot of the, 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 like the lower soldiers, like the normal soldiers, like look up to him, but all of the, like the higher up people, the generals kind of like look down on him. And so like, there's, seems like there's like this weird divide happening in the army where he's kind of the, the one that the, the normal soldiers want to follow and then the generals don't like that, so they're going to try and, like, take him out, essentially. Um, and, yeah, I think there's some other scenes with him on the front line with Capole doing her doing her voodoo thing. Ah, there's this one scene with Capole, and she's making some special, special doll. Can you remember that? Do you remember that scene? Or do we not, um, get, the, do we not get the payoff for that yet? I uh, she, she so- was making some special thing. Yeah, I think uh, Taniel notices her making a doll of Fell, um, and he had seen her making dolls before, and he was like, is she just making dolls for, like, every single person that we encounter, or is Fell special? Um, And he was like, well, she doesn't have enough room in her backpack for, like, these dolls to make it for everyone, so he kind of just, like, writes it off, like, okay, well... Um, but yeah, she is making dolls and like, you know, we've seen that, um, Juline is, um, cause she's important here in a moment, um, right. that she was afraid of Carpole when it was Taniel, super strong powder mage, Bo, super strong privilege and Carpole and Juline is a pretty. And so she's like, you know to the nth degree more powerful than Bo um, and she looks at Carpole and she's like uh, I don't want to mess with this this yeah. witch <laughs> but there was something else where she would like was it the Black Wardens like she oh. needed yeah she needed uh, Taniel to get like hair or something from one of the Black Wardens to like finish her special doll um, and I think that had something to do with like her being able to like control them or like that was the thing where she could you know make it so that she would have power over the black wardens which would be a massive you know turning point in the she does the take control of yes one. she yeah and, and that yeah that scene was really cool too where like couple is like she tells the warden and like it just like wreaks havoc i that might be the part where they oh, hold yeah, the she, line too yeah she takes complete control over it like she tells it where to go yes that's yeah right. And she's That's, operating it awesome. like a, yeah, and it's like, like blowing up its own troops. It's fighting the other wardens, and she just right. like sends it deeper and deeper into like the enemy lines. And then like she's like, ah, it's done its work. And then she just like takes her thumb and right. pushes the head off the doll, and then it just <laughs> drops dead. But that's after it's like it had taken like bayonets and gunfire, and it was still like. Yeah. trouncing people and killing people yeah. and she's just like i'm gonna put an end to this yeah. just like with her little wax doll yeah, yeah that, was, that was also a cool scene yeah yes um yeah her magic is just really interesting it's like a it's like a voodoo magic um mm-hmm. but she has some like other layers to her i'm sure we'll learn more about who she is and what her more of what her magic can do um gabe has all the answers that we're waiting for <laughs> 
Yeah, I have some of the answers, but uh, her true identity is not even revealed until the second trilogy. Um, ah, interesting. So, yeah, so we we get go deep into her into her history in the second trilogy, but we have some really cool scenes with Carpole coming up. So um, yeah, in, in this in this book or in book three? Uh I think there's one. I think there's one in this book that I, you, you're just going to be like, what? Cool. I can't remember. Like, there's this one scene where she just goes nuts. Uh, and it's so good. I think it's in this book. I can't remember exactly. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's in this book. Cool. Um, but yeah, so basically where we end with Tamis is he. Taniel. Or yeah, Taniel. Names. Um, yeah. He basically uh he he basically gets in bad with the generals and he there's these guys that come and they try to take him away and they they basically capture him. Um and that's where we leave him off and he's going to be basically imprisoned. Um so we'll have to wait and see if he gets out or what happens, you know, whatever. I'm sure he'll get out or something. Um but before then he has a little conversation with Mahali um about um like he talks about like i thought i killed Cresimir and mahali gives him some more details about like um like it's like he can't really kill him and i think that's where he gets the details about like why he's more powerful um that you mentioned earlier that's when he's talking to mahali correct yeah um I just, I love Mahali. I always love. We didn't get as we haven't gotten very much with Mahali this first half of the book, um, mm-hmm. which is too bad. I feel like we got more of him in the in the first book. Well, I'm sure we'll get more Definitely. of him towards the end of this book. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's always fun. I, I like his scenes because we always get more like little more tidbits on the lore and kind of the god system because Mahali is Cresimir's brother, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. And. I'm trying uh, to the patron this. saint of Adro, I think. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember something like about the things about what he said in terms of their relationship. Like he, something about like where he, they could stop him, but they just choose not to. Um, it reminded me a lot of like, like the Greek gods, how they're all kind of like related and they have like these inner personal struggles with each other. Um, and it's like they're not they're like human gods in a way like they have their gods but they have like human flaws um that mm. kind of this kind of series reminds me of that kind of god structure um and sure. do, you know, do you remember any other tidbits about that conversation um just yeah that Krasimir had other brothers and sisters that were gods yes. um and that Kresimir and the others left and um yep. and Mahali who is Adam reborn has kind of just stayed and kind of stayed under the radar and he didn't really expect them to return yeah. um and he tells Taniel that he would have sensed it if his brother died anywhere in the cosmos and that um we have a confirmation that Kresimir is still alive from Mahali. Um, yeah. Those are only the things that are coming to mind. Yeah. Patron saint. 
I didn't say that earlier. Yeah, patron no, saint. Correctly. Yeah. I didn't say that correctly earlier. Um, yeah, I was just trying to read through some of this chapter with Mahali. Um, yeah. There's some other tidbits in there. Um, but, yeah. He also yeah. adds some levity, uh, like when he's yeah, he talking does. to Tamis. And he's like, I don't know what to cook. <laughs> yes. He's like, I, oh, yeah, I only we, have a four-course meal. Oh, yeah. We do get a scene with him at the very beginning with uh, him talking to Tamis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's basically where we leave off our characters. Um, we didn't really talk about Nyla that much. Um, there's not a ton that happens with her. We get some... Uh, we get a little uh, insight onto how like Vetus is manipulating uh, Jacob. Um, I had a quote in here about um, basically Jake, like Vetus is bringing Jacob like gifts and treating him really well. And he's basically trying to win, trying to win him to his side. Um, and Jacob is calling him uncle Vetus now. And that just makes Nyla really upset because he's being a very manipulative, um, like father figure to Jacob since his father was killed. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of an interesting scene and that gives Nyla more of a reason to, um, try to kill her um yeah and there's some there's a conversation with her and Faye and Faye is basically saying like we have to be patient we have to wait for our time and then she's like whenever my time comes like I'm gonna go for it I'm gonna take him out essentially um yep did you have any uh things that you enjoyed from Nyla's chapters anything specific um Yeah, mostly it's just, like, learning about the goons and, like, um, the relationships that are going on within the household. Yeah. We do have a little bit of a look into Vetus's uh, plans. He is planning to woo um, Wenceslav. um, The leader of the Wings of Autumn. Yep. Yeah. and he needs Nyla to be his like female yeah. uh, relative and to kind of right. you know steer that in the right direction. Um, yeah, her and F- Nyla and Faye don't get along right at the beginning. At least Nyla didn't trust her. And then they had that moment where right. Faye, Faye kind of tells her her thoughts and plans. Um, yep. And... Yeah, I think that's that's basically it. It's just like, um, and and learning that Lord Vetus is just kind of like you know, along with that Fontaine Academy, just like um, he's kind of a machine. And she was like, he drinks a lot, but he never actually gets drunk, um, and he's just always in control. And I don't think we've mentioned this um, that Vetus is in the employ of Lord Claremont, who is uh, associated with the. Um, the trading company, um, Bordanian Trading Company, uh, something like that. And uh, Adamant sure. at some point, some point was like, you know, I don't even, you know, I know I hate Vetus, but like, I'm looking at this as um, Lord Claremont is the one holding my family. He's he's made that association right. in his mind. Um, sure. So I do wanted to point that out. Um, and I'd like to revisit 
Daniel really quick. Sure. Um, so, first of all, when Daniel is in the army, there are talks of quartermasters, and as I have the uh, pseudonym, the quarantine quartermaster, That's and right. becoming trying to become the quarantine quartermaster, uh, I think it's just fun to mention that. So the quartermasters are in charge of like the army's like food supplies and stuff, and Daniel uh, is noticing that there is not an ample supply of black powder, and he doesn't know what's going on with that. So he like asks the quartermasters for it, and he's not um, really seeing that. And then another, or like he's not understanding where all the black powder is. And then another key point that. Um, we haven't mentioned is he spots Juline. Um, so Juline is uh, so she's the pretty from the first book. Yeah, she's the pretty from the first book. He's looking at the Kez army and he's like, "What are they doing over there?" And then he sees this like basically like a cross, like um, like being erected, but it's like seven stories tall and. He's like, there's a naked woman up there, and she has no hands. And then he realizes that it's Juline. And then she, like, starts moving a little bit, and he's like, she's still alive. You know, crucifixed on, on this cross without her hands. And they obviously removed her hands because she's a pretty, right. and um, she can't summon the else without the use of her hands. Um, so they've taken her magic away from her. Um, so... We know that she is behind or with the Kez army and she is not on their good side, <laughs> um, to say the least. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Daniel has fought his hardest, but he's like being dismissed by General Ket saying, yep. um, I have pulled you for special assignments and I want you to do only this. And, uh, Kapol has been conscripted to work as a laundress in the army. Right. Um, yeah, they're going to split him up. Because it's not proper for him to have... Impropriety. A, a savage and not have him, not have them be married or whatever. If you're uh, listening to the podcast, Tyler just did air quotes, a savage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what everybody calls her, savage, in the book. Yep, yep. Even, um, even Taniel in his mind, and when his thoughts will say... Cause he has, he has this thought of like, maybe should I sleep with her? He's like, Oh yeah. He's got this attraction, like going yeah. back to the Maladin, his heart's racing when he sees her and yep. she like snuggles up on him and, um, they haven't done anything. There's nothing, but you know, they're definitely familiar and yes. there definitely seems to be an attraction going on. Yeah. Cause she's older than she's since than she looks. So, mm-hmm. um, there was one last thing that I had here with Daniel and it's um his conversation with Etan, the guy who um the Black Warden. I think they like, pronounce it Etan. Etan. Um yeah. but basically when the Black Warden attacks, he gets like basically hit and he breaks something in his spine so he can't move, so he's paralyzed mm. essentially. Um <clears throat> and Etan is like He's a good guy and he believes in what Daniel's trying to do. Um, and he's, he basically is asking, uh, Daniel, um, that he won't let the, um, let me just find the exact quote. 
Um, he basically says, you'll promise me that you'll win this thing. And Tanya's like, I don't know if I can do that. Um, and he's like, you have to promise me. And then basically Tanya's like, no, I won't, I'm not going to promise you. Um, and he just calls him a coward, essentially. Um, because he says, if I were dying, you'd promise me. Because you wouldn't have to answer to me then. But I'm not dying, and you won't promise. And he says, coward. And then Taniel says he turned his face away, and he knew that it was true. So some admission from Taniel himself that he is being a coward um, in that sense. Which is interesting, because he's not a coward in, on the front lines, but he's... I guess being a coward in terms of like this interpersonal relationship and promising something that he can't necessarily keep. Um, but uh, I think I that's that good. I mean, like, yeah. And, and yeah, it is interesting, but at the same time, like that is a ridiculous promise to make. Right. <laughs> like I'm outnumbered like 10 to one. Like the Kez army is like enormous. Right. I, I think it's unfair of E10 to be like General E10 to be like you need to win this um, you know I don't know that I, it was I a, think that's an unfair I don't know if his if he was asking him to like actually promise to win or if it was more of a thing like I want don't you give to, up sort of I thing. want you to promise me that you'll do everything in your power mm, regardless of what yeah. it costs you that you'll win you'll do the right thing even though all the higher ups are trying to push you down or whatever um Maybe it was more of that kind of a ask and less okay. of a and less of a just I want you to win because, you know, that's like a yeah, that is like an idol. Like, it's not something he can actually promise that he'll win the war. Yeah. They, um, like, that's not in his hands. Like, he can do all he can. But yeah, I took I took it as more hands. of like he's asking him from his personal actions that he can he would do whatever he can and do the right thing in the end. Mm, um, OK, so that's that's kind of how I took it. Um, that makes but, sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I just thought that was an interesting conversation he had. Um, just showing some more depth to Daniel and like what he thinks about himself. Um, mm. Probably a lot of has to do with like, because he mentions at some point like Tamis would say that, where's my useless son? So I think there's a degree of like Daniel not feeling like he's good enough in a lot of ways. Yeah, so, self-worth issues. Yeah, so I think that this conversation as well kind of speaks into that kind of um, character trait that he has. Um, yeah, just something I, I picked up on. Um, yeah, any last thoughts on plot or things that happened in the story? Uh, I don't think so. I think we did a good job of yeah. wrapping it up. I think... Um, I liked following the different storylines. It was easier, yeah. Like to um, to Follow walk them. through in my head. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's easy in this because they're mostly separate storylines, and they don't mm-hmm. really. There's yep. not really a lot of cross pollination between all of them. So, um, let's Yet. see. Book book ending predictions. I guess this will just be me because Gabe knows kind of what happens at the end. Um, kind of. Kind of, yeah. He knows where we get, but not how we got there. That's what he said. Yeah. He knows the destination, but not the journey. Journey before destination. Stormlight Archive fans, leave a like down below. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so book predictions. Well, I think that I mentioned a little bit about Adamant. Like, I think that he's going to get s- w- at least one of his family members back. I'm, I'm 
kind of thinking that one of them's going to have to die or he's not going to get all of them back or there's going to be something where he that's not a happy ending for him um for tamis yeah i'm really just interested to see like what his actual plan is and how that's going to work out um I assume that Tamis survives to book three, so I'm going to assume that he's not going to be dying in this book. Um, but I'm sure there'll be some somebody dying in, the, in that storyline as well. Um, and then Taniel. Yeah, I'm really just interested to see what happens with Kapol and her, her voodoo magic and uh, just to see what happens with that um, and how he's going to get just out of Just wait this. till that scene. Yeah, and how he gets out of the <laughs> the conundrum he's in with the other generals, or you know how that's gonna play out. Um, I don't know; it's kind of hard to predict, but yeah. We I think we ended on a good area in the story. Like there's a lot of like hanging storylines of like what's gonna happen. They're kind of uh. Whenever I finished chapter twenty one, I was like, oh, that is the place I need to stop because I have lots of like things that are about to happen that we don't that i didn't get the ending to so yeah yes it was a good place to stop and i was very like i cut it off after chapter 21 i haven't listened to those like 22 through the end of the book in like the two years since i've read this book like for the second or third time so i have read the third book the least i think i may have only read it like once or twice um you know and listened to it so Um, that's the one I'm least familiar with but yeah alright cool well that's gonna do it for this episode the next episode we're going to be doing uh, uh, second half of the book so chapter 22 until the end it's 54 or something like that whatever the end of the story is Um, so stay tuned for that and you can follow us on social media. Um, if you just search Pages of Light, you'll probably find us on all the social platforms. You can check out our website, pagesoflight.com. See what's going on there. Mostly just podcasts right now. Uh, nothing else in the works. Um, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast apps, uh, please leave a review. Five stars. Tell us why you like the podcast. And uh, if we get a review, we'll read it on the podcast. And I'll give you a shout out. And... Uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Gabe, any last thoughts before we head out? I think uh, we're ready for the next recording session really soon. Yeah, there you go. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Remember to keep reading and to share the gospel with somebody this week, and we will see you in the next episode.